Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 to 16. Howdy, I'm Brian, and welcome back to my Bible study podcast. Today is episode 16 in our concurrent walk through the books of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament and Philippians out of the New Testament. The authors of these two books, Solomon and Paul respectively, are both seeking to answer some of life's hard questions. What is the point of what we do in this life? Where should we put our identity, and who should we look to for joy and peace? Today we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here Solomon investigates and indulges in every imaginable source of worldly pursuit, passion, and pleasure. And he does this in order to determine what is actually fulfilling and what is worthwhile and what falls short. The Cliff Notes answer is that he determines that being driven by worldly goals is vanity. It never fulfills. It's just chasing after the wind. And he unpacks that throughout the entire book. But the conclusion is not that everything is meaningless and sad in this life. No, Solomon concludes that we should enjoy our work, our possessions, and our pleasures in this life, but that the goal of our lives should not be oriented towards them. Our lives, our identities, they should be oriented upwards toward God. God provides the things, sustains those things, and can fulfill us in a way that worldly things never could. We should turn toward Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross for us. We should live in fear and reverence toward our God. We should honor and obey his commands, and we should do the work that God has provided us to do in this life. When we navigate outside of that swim lane, when our identities become about those other things, that's where we run into troubles. That's where we start to feel like we're chasing after the wind. That's when we start to struggle with questions like, am I good enough? Or does what I'm doing really matter? 
we get caught up in a Hebrew word hevel, which is used to describe vapor or mist that seems real enough, but then vanishes before our eyes. Today, in the rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to see that chasing worldly hevel through work, it can create a spiral. At times, we chase things in this world out of envy, jealousy, greed, and loneliness. And when we chase worldly things because of those reasons, we can end up feeling more envious, more jealous, more greedy, and more lonely. It just spirals downward. I pray that today we can see the importance of having a biblical worldview, an identity wrapped up in Christ because I am convicted that he is the only one who can alleviate that hole in us that we yearn to fulfill, and that far too often we seek to fill with things like work, possessions, sex, money, and prestige. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Ecclesiastes 4.4 So I think there are kind of two things going on in this verse, and both stem from jealousy and envy. First is sort of holistic, that we look around and we think that we have it worse than others do, and we want the lives that we think that they have. So we all feel struggles in this life, right? We all carry burdens and weights and baggage. As we've seen and already talked about in Ecclesiastes, we live in a fallen world. We live where wickedness and injustice and pain and suffering are real, where they are personal to us. And so one thing that feeling like this does is it causes us to look around at our neighbor and go, they must have it all better off than me. They look like they aren't struggling, they look happy and successful. Why can't I have that? The second thing is what I'll call keeping up with the Joneses. This desire to to have more and to do more because we want to be better than the people around us. Where we see the nice things that somebody else has and we simply want a better version of those things. We want to be able to brag or to show off or to trend on Instagram because we inherently want to have more prestige than the people around us. Because of all of these reasons, we do a couple things in response to those feelings. One, and I mean the good theological and churchy answer, is that when we struggle with envy and jealousy, we should lean into Jesus more. We should lean more into God's word and lean more into the promises of God that he is working in us and our lives and our struggles right now, but that one day we will celebrate before him and we will no longer feel those struggles and that pain, but instead we're going to worship him in pure joy. That is where, as a Christian, I know I should be, but I, like other people that I know, have times of identity crisis. So instead of leaning into Jesus, I might lean into myself, and try to work to get the life that others have, or I might try to get a better life than those people. I might work three jobs or work 80-hour weeks or take out huge financial debt just to ensure that I can get better things than the people around me. Now, a disclaimer for all the previous commentary is that not all struggles or pain are equal. Not all financial situations are equal. Sometimes people have to work three jobs just to subsist. I am not, this passage is not, calling those situations vanity. This passage is speaking into situations where our identity morphs. 
and where we might sinfully redefine what is essential in our lives to include things like a better title at work, or a fancier car, or a larger home. You know, situations where pride and envy drive our desire to attain more worldly stuff. That's what this passage is talking about. Another way that we might respond to this jealousy and this envy of thinking our neighbors have it better off than us is that we might lean into a fake identity that we create for ourselves. This is the, there's nothing wrong, I'm fine, we're good defense. So tell me if this sounds familiar. I think that you will judge me if I tell you what's really going on in my marriage, in my finances, in my life. So instead of telling you everything, I'm going to pretend everything is good. I'm going to pretend that my life is as good as I think your life is. So we get a bunch of fake people pretending to live these fake perfect lives and nobody is satisfied because nobody is being real. This is especially true on social media where we can control the message. I can show you my best foot forward. I can show you me living my best life so much easier when I get to pick the pictures that you see. And before you say, yeah, I show my flaws on social media though, and so this doesn't really apply to me, you know, I make real posts, then I want you to know that we still get to control what flaws and what weaknesses go public, right? Because none of us put all of our stuff out there, nor should we. But just know that even quote-unquote real posts still aren't the same as knowing real-life situations that people are living. Both working to increase our status and working to increase our perceived status, they're both working out of pride for greater worldly recognition. And Solomon says that all of it is vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Okay. So I spent way too much time on that one verse, so I'm going to hit everything else at a much higher level, I promise. But the reality of verse 4 is that when we struggle with having an identity soaked in Jesus, we instead jealously seek the identities that we see around us. So the opposite of the person who spends too much time trying to work himself up the social ladder is the one who just doesn't care at all, doesn't do any work, doesn't try, doesn't put forth any effort or provide any productivity. Verse 5 says, the fool holds his hands and eats his own flesh. So this person is also dealing with an identity crisis, right? Like they are also not living obediently toward God with a life soaked in the calls of Jesus. Solomon says that this person also will never be satisfied. Thomas Schreiner notes that Ecclesiastes does not disagree with the emphasis in Proverbs on working hard, for a fool who refuses to work will end up in self-destruction. But a wise person achieves a balance with both work and relaxation and does not fall prey to the illusion that work will bring joy. And here, then in verse 6, it speaks into finding that balance. One hand full of rest or tranquility or quietness and one hand full of work, that's better than having an identity wrapped up in your work and better than having an identity wrapped up in refusing to work. So do the work that God has provided us to do and enjoy the fruits that God has blessed us with. But in all situations, remember who granted each. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, 
one person who has no other, either son or brother, and yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 and 8. So for whom am I toiling, for whom am I depriving myself of pleasure? Sometimes we get so caught up in our work that we forget why we're even working to begin with. We should evaluate our situations. We should contemplate why we are working or not working. Here Solomon uses the example of a man who works constantly to accumulate more stuff, but who doesn't have a wife or kids. He works so hard that he isn't enjoying what he receives in this life, and he has nobody to pass it on to. So what is his motivation for working himself to death? What's the motivation for not finding that balance that was talked about in the previous passage? And then this passage flows right into verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Those are verses 9 through 12. So having community and having a faith family are important. I am not saying that everybody will get married and have kids. The Bible is not saying that either. There are extremely faithful biblical examples of single men and women. Paul, who's the author of Philippians, is one that jumps right out. But what the Bible does say over and over again is that fellowship, community, and a support system, these are crucial if you work so hard that you can never find that, then you're going to have a rough road without somebody to walk with you and assist you and strive forward in the faith together. Having an identity founded in Jesus means having a life built around relationship and growth. And you can't do either of those things solo. The Bible calls us into relationship with God and with others so that we can grow. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who were moving about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 13 through 16. So the last part of this chapter talks about the folly and the futility of pride and power. John MacArthur declares that the cherished popularity of kings is precarious and short-lived. So the reality is that nothing on this earth lasts forever, even the power of worldly kings. It doesn't matter if they came from rags or riches or if they end up in rags or riches. I mean, Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest king in Israel, and he's not king anymore. When we talk about him, it is usually not through a cherished lens. It's usually just because God used him to write a few books in the Bible, not because he was king above all kings. And that's the difference, right? Like the difference between seeking the authority and adoration that comes with being a little K king 
against the divine authority and the heavenly adoration of the King of Kings. We can build an identity in Jesus because his reign is not short-lived. Jesus' reign is eternal. Instead of trying to become king of the hill ourselves, I just pray that we would all more humbly submit to the one who died on the hill for us, the one who is king on the throne for eternity, Jesus our Lord and Savior. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the English Standard Bible, or ESV, Bible Translation, which is copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers. Next episode, we'll be back in the book of Philippians. Until then, though, I love y'all.